0: Welcome to Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Kim Farina, a veterinarian, a writer, I've worked in the animal health industry, and prior to that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. So yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. In each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a veterinarian or technician so they can share their own directions what's worked, what hasn't, and how they've made it all fit. Thank you for joining me as we explore veterinary medicine combined with all the other aspects of our lives. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support this incredible profession. Today, we have the opportunity to chat with David Sesum, a licensed veterinary technician from Texas, and the program director at Lone Star College's Tombell Veterinary Technology Program. And I just can't wait to talk to you about your story. Welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Kim. I'm honored to be here.
0: You currently are in academia, which we'll get to in a moment. But first, tell us, why did you choose the career path of veterinary technician?
1: Uh, growing up, I always had animals. I was always involved in 4-H and then FFA in high school, and uh, uh, I definitely had a passion for animals. and I always thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. Uh, but my aunt, my aunt graduated from um, Lone Star College's Veterinary Technology program, and she uh, shortly thereafter went to work at Gulf Coast Veterinary uh, Surgery. So she invited me down to make sure that this is the career. I think people in the profession always know more about the career than than people aren't. Obviously, we hear that it's you know. We we give advice on on uh, telling people to make sure that this is what you really want to do. So my aunt invited me to come down and, and see the surgery practice, and I was I was just blown away by the things that they did in veterinary medicine. And I knew at that point that I wanted to be involved more in the animal care aspect than I did the uh, more of the responsibilities of a veterinarian. So that's when my mind kind of made up the the, the uh, made the decision to become a veterinary technician instead of pursuing a veterinary degree.
0: And you have a lot of firsts in your career. Like you were the first male to serve as student organization president at Lone Star College's veterinary technology program. You were the first licensed veterinary technician to serve on the Texas Veterinary Medical Association's Board of Directors. You are the first veterinary technician to be awarded TVMA Technician of the Year, not once, no, 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 but twice. What propelled you to be such a trailblazer? In this profession,
1: you know, I think I think that that question I get that question a lot, and a lot of it's the the mentors, the people that I'm around. I've been very fortunate in my career to work with some people who have motivated me to to succeed. And um, there's there's a veterinarian here in Texas, and one of his sayings is that he feels like a turtle on a fence post. If you ever see a turtle on a fence post, you know they had help getting there. They didn't get there by themselves, and that's kind of the their, their selves, and that's kind of the way that I feel about what I've been able to achieve. It's just, um, I am very passionate about things. And that's one of the, um, before I got into academia, my my career was as a rehabilitation technician. And I I love that profession. It was challenging. It was something different every day. But then I recognized the need for licensed veterinary technicians in Texas. And that's kind of why I got involved in education and kind of the progression of what I've done has been to pursue that because I see students work every day. I see how hard they work. And I just want to make sure it's worth it. So as, a, as an educator, um, getting involved with TVMA and kind of being the first for some of these positions, it's kind of, they, they kind of naturally occurred. It wasn't necessarily a, um, um, uh, it, was, it wasn't something that, I mean, we, we pushed for it and we worked hard for it, but there, there was a, some timing involved as to when they occurred too. And I was fortunate to be in the right place at the right time. And um, but take them, take those duties very seriously about what we've done. So I think I've, I think I've been able to make a difference in the profession, but we just kind of cracked the door and there's more to come. So I'm excited about what that entails.
0: Yes, absolutely. You seem like a model veterinary technician. Are you?
1: Um, I don't know if I'm the, the primary example, but I also know there's a balance of, there's a balance of, um, of egos. You know, you can't have that, but in a practice. I also know my worth, and that's the thing that we push for with the um, technician utilization. You know, I wish that there were more veterinarians that had more credentialed staff in their practice and they fully knew how to utilize their, their staff to be effective. I think that's a, um, an issue that's coming up with AVMA as well, the technician utilization task force, and um, some of the discussions, and, and especially with well-being in veterinary medicine. I think veterinarians, if they did a better job of utilizing their staff, uh, and delineating tasks, it would take a lot of their responsibility and a lot of stress that they have to deal with. And that's what, that's what in, in my role, I know what I'm capable of. I know what I teach my students. I know what they're capable of, and I want them to go into the workforce and veterinarians use them to 110%, not just a hundred percent, but 110%, that extra 10% that they really don't know what they can do with a licensed professional, but working, getting involved with uh, state associations, national associations, and opening up the Practice Act to allow technicians to do more in a practice.
0: Yes, because I think there is this very strong need to give visibility to a technician's role in veterinary medicine, just as you were saying, and, and the wide range of skills that a technician has. So it sounds like that really is a driving force for you to keep active in the profession. That's what it sounds like
1: it's it's huge and i I think that there's there's value to everyone in a veterinary practice from you know from kennel staff to in a barn um, barn help every one of those individuals are needed but there's a role and there's a place and there's a there's a there's a a task for everyone as we say but some of those tasks for educated professionals and licensed professionals i think there's ways that veterinarians can utilize um, credential and non-credential staff more with the delegation of tasks the levels of supervision and that's kind of what we push for. We see that as the profession of veterinary medicine. And a lot of things that we don't know about in veterinary medicine yet, such as telemedicine, the role for uh, credential technicians in that. And I, th- I think it's huge because, uh, especially in rural areas where veterinary medicine is not always accessible to owners, and they, they do, they have to drive a long ways. They also, there's also concerns about costs. So I think that there's ways that veterinarians can work with credential technicians to be able to provide those services Um, in rural areas, and also even in urban, um, to allow for more accessibility for clients for veterinary care.
0: You also volunteer a lot of time. I mean, you are the chair of the LVT Advisory Committee for the Texas Board of Veterinary Medical Examiners. You serve on multiple Texas Veterinary Medical Association committees. Why do you volunteer your time and brain power? Now we just talked about that driving force, you know, to to give visibility to what a technician can do and how to utilize them. Is there more to it as well?
1: I think it's important to be seen and also to be heard. You know, and the way that we can do that in these in these these roles that I'm involved in, um, it's really nice that like like you said, I was the first LVT to be on the board of directors for the Texas Veterinary Medical Association, but. To have that seat, but also to be to be valued and to be listened to, and to have a voice for the the credential technicians in Texas, that's that's a huge that's a huge opportunity, and that was something that, um, um, it was an election. There were a few people that were that were um, nominated as well, but to win that seat was was um um it was it was very humbling. There was a lot because in Texas the um, the board of district seats are broken down by district. So my district is Texas. So I'm, I'm my entire, my entire district is the state of Texas. So that's a, that's a, that's a big, big responsibility, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be in that seat But I also do feel that I've made a difference. And a lot of that is just being able to have discussions. So when there's, there's, there's discussion in the, in the board of directors meetings, I have no qualms about walking up to the mic, making my comments, interjecting a site too. And I think it's as a, As a LVT, that's my job is to, um, in that role, is to interject the thoughts of how this also affects the paraprofessionals in the profession and not just veterinarians. So, uh, and with the the time on the committees, those are where we get more input from the profession and also on the advisory committee to the state board. That's a big deal when law changes, because law changes when they happen, they don't just affect the veterinarians, they also affect the staff in the clinic. So being able to provide some insight to that has been very valuable
0: were you nervous when you first started out? Because I'm thinking of our listeners, many of them as new grads in the early career, uh, in the early stages of their career. Was it at first, like, I don't know if I want to do this? Or did, did you just feel this was a natural thing for you to do?
1: Um, it, it felt natural. Uh, growing up in, in uh, 4-H and FFA, I was FFA president. I did method demonstrations. I had some public speaking experience. And I was asked to speak one time at the Texas A&M Veterinary Technician Conference, and I was extremely nervous for that the first time I did it. I think it's the same for everybody. When you go to do it, you're supposed to give a 50-minute presentation. You talk so fast because you're nervous. It's over in about 25, and you're just like, okay, now what do we do? So the progression from that, I got over that. But also, um, uh, I was asked to speak at a veterinary conference, so to speak to veterinarians about rehabilitation. That was probably the most nerve-wracking thing I've ever done in my life but one of the surgeons that I worked for she said don't worry about it they don't really know what you're talking about <laughs> so and and in the end they did and one of the one of the the greatest veterinarians that I've I've really ever worked with he's a toxicologist but he he always seeks continuing education so he came to a symposium on rehabilitation and at the end he stood up and he said young man that was an excellent job and that was that was and I I I'd put the work in, you know, I'd made the effort to do that. So I do feel a part of the profession. I do know that I'm a, I'm a technician, but I do know that we're a valuable part. So for those that are interested in getting involved, a lot of it, you know, it's kind of like when you, when you enter a raffle drawing, you have to be present to win. So if you put your name in a drawing like that and they draw your name and you're not there, you're not going to win. So being involved in a committee, the biggest thing is you don't necessarily have to go in and be the committee chair at first, just be present. So if you show up, you win.
0: I love that. You show up and you win. Absolutely. Well, you mentioned um, a conference and I want to talk about that for a minute because you do a lot, David, and I imagine you do this not because you don't love your wife and your new baby. Uh, In fact, you likely have a lovely wife because I believe you met her at an equine veterinary conference. And so I was curious, like, did you say to her, Hey, baby let's take our equids and ride off into the sunset, like something smooth like that?
1: Uh, not exactly. Not exactly. <laughs> We'd actually worked together at Texas A&M, but we kind of met at the conference and I was in charge of, uh, I, was, I was assisting with one of the wet labs for the conference and she got lost. So she had texted me and asked for directions and then we kind of went from there, but she's also a licensed veterinary technician. So um, it makes it nice. And it's also Probably one of the things I'm most proud of is what I've been able to accomplish in the profession, but also kind of be an example for my son. So you know, to to give him a good example to follow. So um, you know, she's with me as many continuing education events as we can go to, and and it's kind of it's kind of shifted gears as I look at the profession. And I think as people mature, you kind of look back, and there's there's a lot more involved in in kind of what you're doing. And in the past, I've I've been fortunate enough spoken at the American College of Veterinary Surgery their their meeting. I've done uh, the Western Veterinary Conference, I've done some really big conferences speaking about rehabilitation, but now in the uh, next month, actually, we're speaking at the Texas Veterinary Medical Association meeting on the wellness track about utilization of technicians. So I'm okay with where we're at kind of being out of the spotlight, but we're making a difference in the profession and we're helping veterinarians, especially with with the suicide rates and things. And, and you know, um, technicians don't necessarily harm themselves as much as veterinarians do. They just quit. They burn out and they leave the profession so trying to get veterinarians to utilize technicians more to have that job loyalty but also from an economic standpoint it helps make it makes sense in a practice to retain your to retain your technicians so that's kind of our my push now is to educate veterinarians about um what a credentialed technician is what they're taught how to use them how to use them efficiently how to retain them and how to use them to help support your well-being in a practice because if you're you know if you're if you're there as a, as a veterinary owner and you do treatments and you do everything and then you have to stay and do the business part. That's not efficient either. And that's not a good work-life balance. So use the people you have and hire the ones that are enabled by the law to allow them to do more in a practice. So that's kind of where our push is now. And again, it's, it's kind of more out of the spotlight, but that's okay. We're, um, we're making a difference anyway. So that's all right with me.
0: Let's circle back to burnout for a second. What advice would you give to a technician starting out in this
1: career? I think one of the things we see with our students is, is, to, is to go shadow in a clinic and see what it's about. There's more to this profession. You'll hear it a bunch. You hear it for veterinarians as well, too. It's, it's obviously more than just puppies and kittens. And a lot of people are like, I'm in this profession because I don't like people. I have never seen a dog drive itself to the clinic, pay its own bill, and drive itself home. So you do have to deal with people, and you do have to have people skills. And there's a lot of things, too, that that's um, to to me, it was rewarding because clients would tell me things they wouldn't tell the veterinarian. They had they had a personal relationship with the technician. So um, we saw that a lot. So I think I think as a as a student or someone entering this profession, I think it's something that if the, the more knowledge you have about the profession before you actually, you know, make the commitment to go to school and even the same thing for veterinarians. I have I know veterinarians that graduated from vet school and never went to work in a clinic and actually never went to work in the profession. So um to make to make sure that this is really what you want to do because there are ups and downs and it's it's pretty stressful but also go to work in a clinic that's going to utilize you to the best of your abilities. so if you go somewhere and you know you look around and you see the equipment and it's really outdated and um they're not practicing contemporary veterinary medicine don't stay there that's one of the reasons about why you get a license and why you get an education is so you have other opportunities and there are things now there's so many opportunities available in veterinary medicine other than working in a clinic, that there are um, uh, the public health, the One Health. I have a friend who's a veterinarian for the CDC and she was deployed when Ebola came out. So um, there, there's a lot of challenges in this profession, but there's also some things that you can do a lot of good. So I think making that a wise choice and a wise decision that this, this is what's for you, if you do the research before you go in, um, you'll be a lot better off when you come out.
0: I think that's amazing, yes. And as a professor, as a program director, you have this incredible vantage point because you can see paths being paved. You can see careers blossoming right in front of your eyes. What are you seeing in early career veterinary technicians that you wish they knew? Because self-reflection is so hard. So from where you're standing, what do you see that you want them to know?
1: Well, I think I think a graduate coming out of a school now, even even in a vet school or a veterinary technician program, we're so far ahead than where we were thirty years ago, and the fight we had to get here, the work's been done. So now you just continue the momentum. So these students that come out, um, the discussions that are occurring about technician utilization, delineation of of uh, of task and scope of practices, and um, AVMA committees for technician utilization, a lot of things in a lot of states are 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 pretty progressive in some of their discussions for technician utilization and nomenclature and the, the proper use to it, to a veterinary technician, it is a big deal for us to be identified correctly. There's a, there's a common issue in veterinary clinics where a technician is a technician and that's not always the case. A lot of times the practice act delineates, um, credential technicians, non-credential technicians, certified veterinary assistants in some states. So, um, there's there's a push to educate the public for that but i think the progress we're making now is educating veterinarians about the difference and if you educate a veterinarian on what the differences is and they use them correctly to a student that's already in school those battles are kind of already being fought you know they're being discussed so they're going to be in 10 years down the road from now there's going to be so many things that they're going to be able to do that that we're not able to do now and i think that's the um, once they graduate just stick with it but You're also going to have to get involved. Don't just go to work and and go to work in a clinic. There's so many things that happen outside of your clinic that if you don't pay attention, you don't know what happens. So um, you're going to have to get involved. You're going to have to stay aware. You probably should do more things than just be on social media. You know, finding things from joining your state technician association, joining your your veterinary medical association and following what's happening. Um, You know, most states have legislative actions every two years. And you need to be a part of that. Otherwise, you get left behind. If you just go to work every day, you get left behind. So at least following it and being an active member is a big part.
0: Let's pull back to a personal level for a moment. We talked about challenges and obstacles. What are a few of the biggest obstacles that you faced in your life? And then how did you overcome them?
1: I think growing up, growing up I grew up in a small town. so um, um, I was also a first-time-in-college student, so that, that's a big deal. And we look at people, you see some people, there's some, if you read books, there's different books about um, perseverance and grit. And there's some things where you'll have people, two of the same people, but one person makes it and one of them doesn't. And what, what makes a difference? It's really that grit. It's that, that resilience to, to be able to do that. So kind of in school, um, I never really knew any of that, any of those obstacles. If I wanted to do something, I did it. My parents supported me. And then when I got out on my own, um, like I said, when I graduated from tech school, I went to work for Gulf Coast Veterinary um, Specialist, the surgery department. And then I transferred to Texas A&M. And when I did that, I took a, a, a really large um, salary cut. That was, a, that was a big deal. Plus, I moved away from, I was the first one. I mean, I kind of moved away from home. It was an hour and a half away, but it was kind of a big deal to move up there. And then... Um, kind of overcoming that. It was probably the best move that I'd ever made for professional growth. Um, the things that I was involved in and I was supported, but financially it's really, really difficult. And I think that's one of the things in this profession that there are, um, there are some issues with salaries and kind of livable wages, but um, you know, you don't have to stay in the clinic, the first clinic you go to work for. And especially if you get an education, you've got, you've got opportunities and there's there's so many things that we'd mentioned before about the, like the board of director position and other things too, but outside of that, even professionally, there's some other things because of the things that I've been involved in opportunities that come my way to do things. So, um, I'm also working with Texas A&M AgriLife extension for a certified veterinary assistant program. And uh, um, there, there's, there's opportunities if you look for them. So don't, don't let um, life does get in the way. Sometimes I understand that. And, and in fact, Uh, September 25th, I had a pacemaker, so I had a, um, I was in third degree heart block and I understand that as an educator, you understand it as a veterinarian, I hadn't felt good for months and then I got my pacemaker, uh, and the next day I woke up and I felt a hundred percent better and, um, and, and it's made a, made a huge difference. I feel better. I'm happier now and, and, uh, kind of getting some health back in order. Um, so You know, you just, you just take what life throws at you, but it's one of the things that I always tell my students, I tell them that this is not going to be easy, but I promise it's going to be worth it. And that's kind of the outlook for the profession is that it's not easy, but if, if you put your mind to it and you complete and you find something that makes you happy and you find a a clinic, you know, that a lot of people look for a unicorn clinic or a place that, you know, when you come home at the end of the day, you're fulfilled and you're satisfied, then, then that's worth it. And that's definitely what, what people need to look for. And that's kind of how you overcome those difficulties because they're going to happen every day. It's just how you look at them. You can either quit and shut down or you can, you know, pull your scrubs up and go to work.
0: I love that. Yes, absolutely. And on continuing on this very happy note, um, I want to talk about, my understanding is, is you train and show donkeys and mules. Now, I'm going to say that again, because you train and show donkeys and mules. and And we all know the saying, stubborn as a mule. So, so, and there's a reason that saying is the way it is because it's not like it's, you know, you're being stubborn as a pigeon, it's donkeys and mules. So I wonder how that training is going.
1: Yeah. So, um, I've been involved in it. I think the first show that I went to as a, as a kid was, I was five years old, so I'm now 41. So I've been at it for quite a while. And one of my mentors, he was a veterinary surgeon at Texas A&M and, uh, he showed and raised donkeys. And first time I ever met him, he was really good friends with our family, but my grandpa always told us that he was a maintenance man for Texas A&M. He was, he was very humble, but he was a, a very accomplished large animal veterinary surgeon. And um, I got to spend some time with him and his wife at his house and there was living in college station. He taught at Texas A&M. So um, I spent a lot of time with, his name was Dr. Tex Taylor. And I learned a lot about, about training donkeys just teaches you patients because they, It's not necessarily they're refusing to do something. You have to negotiate with them as to why they, you know, if you're trying to get them to cross water, they're like, why do I need to cross this water? It's not necessarily the answer is not always just to get to the other side. There's other issues with those. So, but I've been fortunate to learn a lot about that. And if you can handle a donkey, you can, you can definitely handle a horse. So we do a lot of, um, um, driving. We do the, the, the animals that I have, I don't ride it, but the animals do English, they do Western and it's been a, uh, kind of a fun experience we go all over the nation doing this so and my son actually this past weekend competed at the Fort Worth Stock Show in his first class it was a peewee lead line class he's 20 months old but he walked around the arena and smiled and waved at people so that was that was pretty fun
0: that's great that is fantastic yes and you look very proud as you're telling me that story that's very excellent it looks like we're just about out of time, but I always like to end with some stories. If you'd like to share a fun story with us from your years in the trenches, we'd love to hear it.
1: Sure. I think there was always some, uh, when I worked at Gulf Coast, one of the surgeons that was there, he's kind of known as a, as a prankster. And there were so many things that we did to each other. When he did arthroscopy, he would he would uh, do, he would, he would wear rubber boots to um, um, so that his shoes wouldn't get wet. So he would come in and he would go to scrub into surgery and he would go put his rubber boots on and there were they were full of surgical lube so he'd put his feet in some surgical <laughs> lube so there was always pranks like that and he would do arthroscopy and I would take the drape and put it in his boots so the water ran down and filled his boots up David. And, so, and then he would he would do but he would do some things he was one where he would tape the sprayer on the sink so when you turn the sink on it would spray you and it was always kind of a kind of a fun environment going on there so. And there's there's so many of those. I look back, and this will be my in May. This will be my 20th year um, as a graduate from a vet tech program. And there's so many stories. There's there's a client that had um, pancreatic cancer, but his dog was the um, his dog is what helped him make it through that. So being able to work with him, there's only so many things. So many you can only talk to people about their dogs so many times, and then you learn about the people. And this guy was crazy. He rode through New Orleans with a. A gorilla suit on riding a motorcycle through town it's just i mean he was he was crazy and he was so much fun to have as a client and those are you know there's there's so many of those stories i think that everybody has but i've been very fortunate in my career and um i'm very lucky and i'm very blessed to be able to continue to do this
0: well thank you so much for your time david we really appreciate it
1: thank you again it was an honor to be here and i appreciate the the time This
0: concludes another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. Please remember to visit VetVance at www.VetVance.com and check out Zoetta's Commitment to Veterinarians on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to get more information about life issues such as handling student debt, reducing stress, communication skills, and reputation management. Betvance is also available as a mobile app on both Apple and Android devices. If you have any questions or comments, please send us an email at scrubchat at We would love to hear from you. And please, don't forget to share and review this podcast so we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. Until next time, this is Scrub Chat.